You're listening to a podcast from Victory. How can we live lives of true generosity? Discover the answer in week three of The Fine Line. We are now in our third installment of our series, The Fine Line. Everybody say, Fine Line. This is actually a uh, sermon about finance, but unlike other sermon on finance, we're not really about getting rich, okay? Uh, I know that you all want to be rich, right? Or you all want to prosper, that's part of it. But really, we're dealing with attitudes of the heart in this series. We talked about greed uh, two weeks ago uh, on how it is so subtle that we don't really know that it's there. It's kind of like on stealth mode. Uh, but the counter of greed is contentment. Everybody say contentment. Now, how many of you are contented with what you have and are grateful? We want more. <laughs> Last week, we talked about false hope and true security, that we cannot put our hope in riches or in wealth, which is so uncertain, but we need to put our hope on God, who is uh, able to generously give us all things for our enjoyment. And so we talked about that last week. And today we're going to be looking at another attitude with regards to finance. And I think this uh, really impacts or affects all of us, whether we are aware of it or not, or whether we'll actually say, yeah, I'm like that, or maybe not. Okay, so the topic we're going to be talking about this afternoon will be on selfishness and a generosity. Okay, everybody say selfishness, selfishness. or generosity. Okay, now how many of you would consider yourself as generous? Just like what happened this morning. Okay, I guess when I ask, uh, how many of you are generous? Nobody will actually say because it's kind of like asking the question, how many of you are humble? And then you raise your hand, then you're suddenly disqualified for that. No, but you know, I realize that yes. Uh, there's probably a tinge of selfishness uh, in us, but at the same time, we're all working on it. You know, it's human nature. You don't have to teach a child how to be selfish. How many of you know it's so natural for a child to be selfish? Isn't that right? Yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> Last uh, week, you know, as uh, Yang was sharing about what happened to APEC, we all had our break. Maybe, maybe some of you went out, uh, out of town. Uh, as, as a family, we decided to stay here. And I think it was last Wednesday when we decided to just uh, go out and have a uh, little tour in the mall, in one of the malls here in the south. And so uh, we went around, bought some things. After a while, my young daughters got tired. And so they said, can we have some merienda? Okay, and so... Uh, you know, how many of you know that it's natural for children to be tired and hungry after a long walk? And so they said, can we have some merienda? And so we suggested, okay, let's go to Mary Grace. And I'm not, suggest- I'm not advertising Mary Grace, okay? Uh, but that's where we went. And so we went to Mary Grace, and uh, my uh, two younger daughters ordered, aside from their drinks, they ordered one cheese roll each. And me and my wife just ordered the regular hot chocolate. And so we were there, we were having a chat, and my wife... Uh, said to one of my daughters, uh, I'm not going to name names, okay? Uh, I'm not going to identify the guilty, okay? But one of my daughters was asked by my wife, okay, can you save some for me, a portion of your cheese roll? I'm just going to go to the bathroom, and then when I get back, I'll just taste it. Because, they're, you know, it's, they are enjoying the cheese roll so much, and my wife was so intrigued, can I taste it after I go to the bathroom? And so my daughter... Well, both of them start with the letter A, okay? So A um, looked at my wife, and she was not happy. <laughs> I mean, you're asking a precious commodity here. And so my wife went. What my daughter did was she just, you know, cut the you know, cheese roll and then devoured <laughs> like that, okay? And at the end of the, you know, the, the, almost at the end of the cheese roll, you know, she remembered uh, the wish of Shirley that she wanted to taste it. And so she actually left just a bit, you know, maybe one centimeter by, I don't know how, how big that was, okay? And so, so it was there on her plate, but I could see that she was like being tortured <laughs> as she waited for my wife because Shirley said, I want to be able to taste that cheese roll. And so she was looking at that cheese roll. 
she was rotating her plate. It's what, it, it was like one of those marshmallow tests that you see on TV. Like, you, you know, if you don't touch the marshmallow, you get something else. But I didn't make a promise that if you give to your mom, I'm going to give you another cheese roll. But you know, I knew for a fact that she's having a hard time here. And so what she did was, Shirley took a while before she comes back. So she took, again, her knife, I mean her fork, and then she sliced it a bit further. And then swallowed it. And then she said, now it's not even, so I need to slice the other side. <laughs> you know what I'm getting into, right? And so before you know it, she practically devoured everything. And actually, Shirley said, when I got back, I saw a little bit on her plate, which she finally devoured anyway. And so in the end, she was not able to share at all to my wife. I could have actually told her, you know, if you share a bit, I'm going to buy you a new role, but I didn't do that because I was also testing her heart. But anyway, I just shared that because I see this young child and she's so consumed about this little bread and she doesn't want to share. And all she could think about is, this is mine. And, you know, I don't want to share this with the world and I want to be able to enjoy it. And how many of us grow into adults and stay with that kind of attitude. You know, I don't want to share. Maybe the attitude is me, mine, mine, or what's in it for me. And or, you know, if you know how many of us would actually look at maybe a lion and you'd look at the lion and how can I get in front of the lion? And you know, it's this mentality of getting, you know, one upmanship or getting ahead of the others, always thinking of ourselves rather than thinking of others. In fact, Jesus said uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit in Philippians chapter 2, but consider others better than yourselves. And how many of us naturally think that way? I believe that it's really human nature to think of ourselves first, right, than other people. And so when you look at this particular attitude of selfish, I think it'll find its way in each of our hearts a little bit, some more than others. And I don't want to discount that there are people who are really generous, and that's great, but we're all dealing with this thing called selfishness. You know, I shared in my small group last Friday morning with some of the men, and I said, you know, life really has a way of teaching us how to be generous. If you look at a small child, or maybe when a baby, when a baby is born, you would see a baby with clenched fists, right? When a baby is born, a baby is born with clenched fists. But yet you look at someone who died at an old age in the, inside a coffin, you would see that this person is already with open hands. And life has a way of teaching us how to open up our fist and make it open so that we can actually learn how to be generous and share what we have to other people. And I think if you look at who God is, our God is a very generous God. Amen. I mean, we serve a benevolent God. Would you agree with me on that? That we serve a God who is generous. We serve a God who doesn't even withhold anything from us. Would you agree with me on that? We're going to be looking at that. The very nature of God is what we want to ask. Lord, make me like you. Make me like you who's generous, willing to share. Even as uh, Yang has mentioned earlier, really, the, the kingdom economy works. The God's economy is all about paradoxes. Everybody say paradox. Paradox is actually seemingly opposite things that are incongruent and in telling us the truth. That's why when Jesus says, uh, the first shall be the last, whoever loses his life will find it. And so even as we look at, you know, if you give freely, you will even gain more. It doesn't make sense, right? Because that's the way the kingdom works. Many times we look at the world and we're so, you know, exposed to what the world practices that we think that the world is what reflects the kingdom of God. But in reality, it's the opposite. The more you give, the more we'll have. The more we withhold, the more we come to poverty. Amen. And so I'm hoping and my prayer is that we will actually have open eyes and open hearts to listen to the Holy Spirit this afternoon. I'd like us to um, stand up. We're going to be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, and then we'll move to verse 18. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, 
nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. In verse 18, it says, They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Father, bless our time together as we study your word. We thank you, Lord, that you would illuminate this uh, verse to us. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would continue to work in our hearts, Lord, that you would um, continue to make us the people that you want us to be, to be more and more conformed into the image of your son, Jesus. Lord, we serve a God who is so generous. And we thank you, Lord God, that as a people, we will reflect the divine nature of God in us. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may all be seated. I guess sometimes people are really excited when you talk about money. You know, When you talk about money, I think people are always interested in getting more money. I think back in the 80s or back in the 90s, the, you know, there's like a, like a faith stream that happened that you actually declare, you know, what you declare is what you get, something like that. When you know, sometimes what the preacher would do is they will actually uh, let you get your wallet and they will allow you to make a declaration over your wallet. Something like, you know, I command the money to come in, something like that. How many of you have done that? Okay. That looks... Crazy, right? I command the money to come in, you know, or I, I command blessing to come to this wallet, something like that. Okay? But in reality, when you look at the scripture, what it says is, you know, money should actually flow out of our wallet. In fact, that's exactly what we've read earlier. That we are commanded to do good, we're to be rich in good deeds or good works. We are to be generous. Everybody say generous. Okay? And we are to be willing to share. And, you know, that, because that goes against the grain of human humanity, human nature. You know, this concept of what do I get if I give is even sometimes a fine line. That even when we're generous, sometimes we think, I'm going to give because actually I can get something in return. How many of you know that that is still a fine line there? Because the motive might be different because ultimately our motive needs to be glorifying to God. Amen. There are people who are generous. And when I ask, you know, how are we to be generous? How, you know, what's the motive behind this generosity? Is it all about pleasing men? Is it all about feeling good? About, you know, about the giving? Is it about glorifying ourselves and piling ourselves in the back and say, oh, you're good. You know, you're able to build this building and, you know, people are generous. And congratulations, guys. You know, is that what we're after? You know, I hope that our generosity ultimately points to one person and that person ought to be God himself. Amen. And my prayer is that may our generosity be God-glorifying and ultimately may it bear so much fruit in the kingdom of God because I believe that is what God wants. So looking at this scriptures again, if I may read back from verse 17, it says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or not to be proud or arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. We talked about this last week, right? So if you have not joined us, if this is your first time to join us, you can actually just uh, catch it on podcast. We do have it on podcast, victoryalabang.org, or maybe you can download the the, the app, Victor Alabang app, and then you can actually listen to the podcast. We have all this in the podcast. So, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. There to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and be ready to share. And in verse 19, we're going to be talking about this next week. The storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And I believe that, you know, when we are generous, we're actually putting an advance deposit for our future in heaven. Amen. We're going to talk about that next week. Having an eternal perspective of why we do these things. The background of this is the Apostle Paul was reminding Timothy, you know, on how to uh, exhort the people in his church, both those who are designed to be rich in verse 9 and those who are rich already on how they are to conduct their lives and becoming a blessing. You know, I found out, you know, talking about generosity that there was a survey done by the Charities Aid Foundation. I think it's not just a, it's a study. A global giving index that was made by Charities Aid Foundation in 2012. And according to that study, 
out of the 200 plus nations in the world, they measure the most generous nations in the world. And guess what number the Philippines is ranked uh, in that survey? We're number 17. Out of 200 plus nations, the Philippines is considered in 2012 number 17 most generous nation in the world. Turn to the person beside you and ask that question. Do you believe that? <laughs> How did that happen? You know, we're not a first world nation. Was that giving index measured on the amount of money that we gave as donation to charity or to the poor? You know, and even in the following year, 2013, we're not ranked 17 anymore. We're ranked number 16. Can you imagine that? And yet in 2014, we ranked number 30. I don't know what happened there, okay? But, but we're still in the top 50. But what they've used as uh, an element for the index is, number one, are these nations willing to help strangers? Secondly, are they willing to donate to charity? Third is volunteer work or volunteer time. How many of you know that we are rich with that? Just looking at this church, we are generous. We are rich because of the amount of volunteerism and the amount of, you know, just being kind to strangers. Look at the person beside you and tell that person, are you a stranger? Okay, I want to be kind to you today, you know, so that I can be generous. Okay, so that's kind of like the, the index that was used. So when you look at generosity, really generosity is more than material wealth. Isn't it right? That when you look at generosity, it deals much more than money. Generosity is practically giving everything that you have. You know, I realized that it's easy to give money. It's sometimes harder to give yourself or your time. And if you have, you know, money, you can just actually write a check and then, okay. But if they require your time, like for example, we've gone through several calamities in our nation and we've actually had some, you know, time of donation, right? And so we receive donations in, in terms of uh, cash kinds and but the, sometimes the most difficult task to to uh, to raise up is actually the the human wear <laughs> the people who are actually willing to go out there and minister and actually give of our time to be actually to be able to help whether it's grief counseling or you know ministering or praying for people or actually you know you know what i mean and so Really, when you talk about generosity, generosity is much more than finances. Finances is part of it, but it deals bigger uh, with bigger things other than finances. So we're just looking at three things here from the verse that we're going to be dissecting. How can we be generous as a people? I believe that the starting point of generosity is being content and being secure in what God has given us. Generosity starts with contentment and security. Unless we are contented with what we have and secure of what we will have, we cannot be generous. Now, how many of you are contented with what you have? We're content. You want to be secure with what we have. You know, your job right now or your business, what you have. And I, I'm not talking about not aspiring for better things. I'm not talking about not praying for a promotion. That's part of it. But the reality of being in the now and being grateful, Lord, thank you for what I have right now. How many of us are in that place right now? Praise God. I mean, we ought to be thankful for what we have right now. When we started, as I shared last uh, week, you know, when, I start, when we started uh, 25 years ago, when, you know, when I was looking at my family inside the room, I said to my wife, everything that I own in this planet is right here inside this room. That's, this is my property and I am content and I am happy because I have my family right here, right here in this house. What do you have right now? And I hope that we're content. We're content with what we have. We're secure. If we're contented and if we're secure, I believe that is the starting point of generosity. Number one is, uh, you know, as we look at this particular verse, it says, teach them how to do good. Everybody say, do good. do good. What does this mean? Is this about deeds or is it about being? I believe that this verse or this particular phrase is referring to the basis or the standard of our goodness. We're not yet 
talking about the doing good because that's in the second line. But this is first the being good. Where do we get our goodness? They are to do good, but how do we do good? In verse 18, it says, they are to do good. Okay? And this is to be differentiated from to be rich in good deeds. Okay? Now, to do good comes from the Greek word agathergeo, which basically means uh, doing what is birthed and empowered by the Lord. So basically, when you talk about goodness, the goodness that you and I have is not coming from the goodness within us. Because how many of you know that no one is good, not even one, the Bible says. We're only good because God is good. We're only good based on our relationship with God. And if we have a relationship with God, since He is good, then God allows us to experience His goodness. And the Bible says, much is given, much is required. To him whom is given much, loves much. You're only able to be good to others if you have experienced the goodness of God yourself. Amen. And that's a starting point. The goodness that we have, I believe, is only an overflow of the goodness of God right here in our hearts. And it's only an extension. In fact, every time we say, I minister to others, it's merely an overflow of my ministry first before the Lord. We can only give what we have. Amen. You cannot give what you don't have. When you talk about being good, goodness comes from God Himself. Because, you know, like, uh, you know, they were dealing at this time uh, with the Greeks. And the Greeks' standard of goodness is different from God's standard of goodness. The world's standard of goodness is so different from God's standard of goodness, isn't it? But when the world says, I feel good, something like that, okay? How many of you know that is not really the good that God is referring to? The world's definition of good is senses. Whatever feels good, do it. If you feel good today, then, you know, I, I'm going to be good to others. If I don't feel good, beware. Warning. Babala. Something like that, okay? Here we can see that even Jesus himself said, no one is good except God alone. Why do you call me good teacher? No one is good except God alone. And so he's pointing back that ultimately our goodness comes from him. He is the yardstick. He is the standard, the basis of our goodness. When you say, do you consider yourself good or bad? How many of you would consider yourself good? Now, how many of you would consider yourself bad? <laughs> oh, good na lang. Good or bad? Of course, you don't want to be considered bad, right? We would consider ourselves as good. Somehow, you know, growing up, I consider myself as a good boy. Right? How many of you would consider yourself as a good boy or a good girl? Or a bad boy, bad girl. <laughs> That's her image. I thought because that was like the standard that I had. The reason why I can say I consider myself as good is because I am better than my classmate. Okay? Because I am a better student than my classmate. So I'm good. I am a good boy because I obey my parents. I am a good boy because I bring home good grades. Or I am a good boy because I'm like this. I'm kind to my brother. I'm kind to my sister. But that's really relative. Ultimately, our goodness comes from God and God alone. In Psalm 119, it says, You are good, and to do good, teach me your statutes. It's an acknowledgement that, Lord, ultimately, the reason why I can do good works is because you have been first good to me. And I have been a recipient of the goodness and the faithfulness of God in my life. Amen? I mean, we acknowledge that. Can we just give the Lord praise for that? I mean, God has been good to us. I stand here by the grace of God and I can actually say this. No matter what you've gone through in your life, may it be the good things or the bitter things that you've experienced, it doesn't change the nature of God being a good God. Amen. It's not because He was bad, that's why He took things away from us. It was really a result of sin of man. That's why we're suffering and that's why we go through things that we're going through in, in life. Amen. The nature of God is He is good. And because we're now redeemed by God, the Bible says if you are a believer, a Christian, the old is gone, the new has come. If we are, you know, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. All things are passed away, right? The old is gone, the new has come. And the, the new nature that we have is the nature of God in us. That's why we're able to 
share, and be good to others. In fact, he gave a warning to those people who would actually call bad, or good bad and bad good. And he said in Isaiah, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Almost like perverting things because that's exactly what the Greeks were doing at that time. And, you know, uh, they would be hedonistic and they would consider their actions to be good because it's good for the senses. You know, how would you consider an activity to be good if it's in reality bad? Because just because that you feel good doing it, it doesn't make it good, right? So for example, drinking, alcohol. I mean, is it really good? Now, this is a very controversial issue, okay? Pastor says in the Bible, okay, drink a little wine. Didn't Jesus convert water into wine? Yeah. But what's the limit? I mean, if you say it's good, then okay, it's good. But yet, if you abuse it, then it suddenly becomes bad. Smoking, is it a sin to smoke, Pastor? I don't know. The Bible is not explicit about smoking. So when you talk about the reality or the standard of goodness, you know, when you look at human nature, it's about the senses, about, you know, I feel good, but really only God is good. And we got to follow the example of Christ, that even when He was here on earth in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, He went about doing good, and He was doing ministry. And he was healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. How many of you know that we're only capable of being good and doing good because God is with us? Second is we are to be rich in good works. Everybody say rich in good works. So we see that second part of this same verse, verse 18. They're to do good, to be rich in good works. We're not just to do good works, we're to be rich. If there's a standard of good works, it has to be extravagant good works. You know, I believe the people of God ought to be the most generous people in the planet. We are to be the most charitable. We're to be the most kind. We're to be the ones who can actually show, you know, uh, acts of kindness to people and impact people's lives. Amen. Because of the very nature that God has given to us. We're to be reminded that God is the owner and we're only stewards. You know, ultimately, we're going to give an account to Him on how, you know, what He's entrusted to us. And really, when you talk about stewardship, God has given us treasure. God has given us talent. How many of you have a talent? Hopefully all of us, right? Time is a stewardship. How do you spend your time? You know, where do you put your involvement in? Your tongue, your words, actually, we're going to be accountable for every careless word that we actually speak. Are we using our tongue to speak life to people or are we using our tongue to destroy people or maybe spread a gossip here or maybe a backstab here? You know, how are we using that? In those little, you know, different areas in our life, are we rich in good deeds as we express them to others? You know, uh, God really has prepared something for us even before the foundations of the earth. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are God's workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God knew already that you're going to be saved. How many of you know that God is omniscient? And He's already prepared something for you to do. You know, God wants us to do good works. He's prepared for us in Christ Jesus. And so, as Christians, as believers, how are we to be rich in good deeds? We need to be salt of the earth. We need to be light of the world. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Bible says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer what? Good. If the salt is not salty, it is no longer good, right? But of course, for those of you who have high blood pressure, it's good, okay? You gotta stay away from salt, okay? No longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. And you know, what's the purpose of salt? So many purposes of salt. How many of you eat watermelon? And how many of you put salt on the watermelon when you eat it? Why do you do that? Because you're a Filipino, right? No! Because it brings out the flavor of 
watermelon of salt. It, because it makes it sweet. You know, suddenly when you put salt on the watermelon, suddenly, wow, ang tamis. Parang ganun, ano? Iba. And I believe that when you talk about the church, you know, the church is supposed to make the society sweet wherever you put it in. The church, us, were to be the salt of the earth. That when you're thrusted into your place of work or in your school, my question is, is that school sweet already because you are there? Even if you're the only Christian in your workplace, is that workplace or office sweet because of your presence? It brings the flavor of something out. Salt is also meant to preserve. You know, when you look at salt, during the time of Christ, they don't have refrigeration there. And what they do is, in order for them to preserve the fish that they just caught, they would, you know, pour salt on top of the fish to preserve so that it could actually last for several days. And I believe the church is kind of like that, that we are, as we bring our goodness to society, we are preserving society. How many of you know the judgment of God has not yet come because the church is here? We are withholding the judgment of God. Amen. We're asking, Lord, Lord, you know, we're, we're praying against storms. We're praying against calamity. We're praying against the big one, right? Lord, the church is here. Preserve. And that's the role of the church, to do good. Another role of the salt is for healing, right? When you have a, maybe a cut, you go to the beach, you swim for an hour, an hour or two, what do you realize what happens to your cut, diba? Suddenly the cut is healed or dry, right? Of course, at first it's ouchy. Ouch. Mahapde, diba? But then eventually it, it's healed because that's the nature of salt. It brings healing. And the church, wherever you go, you bring healing to the people around you. Not only are we salt, we're also the light of the world. In the same way, verse 16, let your light shine before others that they may see your what? Good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Ultimately, the reason why we do good is not so that we can actually receive all the glory, but so that we can glorify God who is in heaven. Really, our generosity only points to one thing. It always, it always points to God. It shouldn't point to us. The moment you say, ang bait-bait naman niya. Ay, ang napaka-generous naman ni Pastor. Ang napaka-generous naman ni ganito, si, si, si small group leader na ganito. You know, suddenly, you know, we've got to redirect the glory back to God. Amen. Don't sniff the glory. You got to give the glory back to God. And when you talk about light, light has got to be seen by men. My question is, is our light being seen by the people around us? Can they sense that in us? Can they sense and feel the richness of our good deeds? But pastor, I've been doing good, but there's nothing happening. Okay, it's this the next, the next verse. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I'd like to read also from Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Basically, this is the attitude that we have. As, you know, we, we give ourselves to the Lord. It's more than just finance that we're giving, but really ourselves. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual Worship or a spiritual act of worship. The reality is ultimately our generosity or our good deeds should be directed to God. You know, someone once said, you know, if we merely give to the church or a ministry or to a poor person, it's only charity. But if we give to God, it becomes an act of worship. Ultimately, your giving ought to be directed to the source. And when we give, we say, God, this is for you. And you know, I, you know, you may have one needy person that you're giving to. May your giving be directed as you give to that person. And you say, Lord, this is for you. And you know, I was just reminded of this verse. If I may just read this in Matthew chapter 25. When the Son of Man comes, 
in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His divine throne, and all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Look at the person to your right. Tell the person you're a sheep. Tell, look at the person to your left. And tell the person you're still a sheep, okay? So, it's hard to In verse 34, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Whatever you do to the people that you're helping, direct that giving. Direct that effort to God Himself. Amen. You're giving to Him, not just to a person. You're blessing the Lord Himself. Basically, our good works of generosity should be an evidence of our salvation. You know, people would see us and distinguish, okay, these people are Christians because of the way they glorify God ultimately by their gift or by their good deeds or by their words or by their act of kindness. Will they distinguish us from the other people who are actually generous? And there are people in the world that are non-Christians but are seemingly generous, right? What's the difference? I mean, there are people who've got different advocacies. Save the whales or save the pandas or save the mangroves or nothing wrong with that. But what's the distinguishing line there? Or give to this orphanage or give to this, you know, charitable institution. Ultimately, we do it for the glory of God. And my prayer is that God will also open doors of ministry for us to minister to others. You know, remember the time when uh, I think last uh, a series you talked about Acts chapter 3 when Peter and John were walking to the temple. They saw this beggar, right? And the beggar was asking for money. And they said, silver or gold? We have none, nor peso, nor dollars. But what we have, we give to you. They were still generous. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And ultimately, they used that situation to help him not just have something that he can eat on for that day, but something to live by for his entire life, which is what they have. Mark Twain said this, Kindness is the language which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. My question for us today is, can they see it and can they feel it and can they hear it when you're around them? Will people miss us when we're no longer here? Because they miss our good deeds, our acts of kindness, our kind words. Those are some of the rich good deeds that we need to possess. And third, be generous. Everybody say, be generous. Be generous and willing to share. Now, this talks about money now. This talks about finances. Be generous and willing to share. And that's the last part of the verse that we have just read. You've got to realize that God is the source and we're just childs of His blessings. I believe true generosity can actually come when we realize that everything comes from Him and we're merely pipelines or conduits or childs of blessing that He wants to use so that we can also enrich other people. Amen. How many of us realize that the finance, the, the money that we have right now is not really ours? The assets that you have, it may actually be written in your name, your, 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 uh, your certificate of deposit, your the title deed to your house, your certificate of uh, registration in your car. It may actually be written in your name, but ultimately... At the back there, it says, owned by God. And if we realize this and we can actually have open hands, it's easier to give. How many of you experience it's easier to give if it's not yours? 
Di ba? Have you ever experienced that? If it's not yours, parang, okay, it's yours. It's not mine. So maybe the next time we receive an offering, right? We're gonna ask the person, okay, to your right, get the person to your right, uh, the wallet of the person to your right, and give as much as you've never given before, okay? Because that's not your money. You know, it's... And that's the way to look at wealth. I believe God owns everything. Someone once said, I believe I said this before, you know, God gave us two hands, one hand to receive, another to give. As the money goes through, there'll be plenty for you. Don't worry, we're not going to take another offering later. But this is just so that we can actually have a check in our heart. That ultimately, when you talk about being good, it comes from God. Doing good is really a reflection of our salvation because we are tied to Jesus. But yet, the last portion is now we can give out of what we have because ultimately we know this is not ours. This is God's and He is the source and we are the channel. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9 to 12 or 11. It says, As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will what? Supply and multiply your what? Your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Here we see in this verse there are two things that God gives. He gives us bread to eat and seed to sow. Everybody say bread to eat, seed to sow. What do you do with the bread? You eat. What do you do with the seed? You sow. What if you sow your bread and you eat your seed? What happens? Baliktad, di ba? If we eat our seed, then nothing happens. How many of you know it requires a planting of the seed so that harvest can come back? That's why it says, so that he who will supply and multiply your seed again for sowing and increase the harvest of righteousness. You know, I'm not sure if I shared this already, but my wife years ago just ate Indian mango and decided to plant that seed in our backyard. Lo and behold, after a few months, there's a, small, there's a small plant that came out of that seed. You know, that actually grew into a tree. And after many years, guess what happened? We've been enjoying the fruit of mango in our backyard because of one seed. And how many of you know that the seed that you sow does not only bear one fruit? It bears multiple fruits. And every year... We've been enjoying the Indian mango fruit in our backyard. And even our neighbors are enjoying it because they just get it without our permission. But it's fine, okay? Freely we receive, we freely give. But the principle is there. One seed, many fruit. But if you eat the seed, no fruit. Right? Somebody once said, you can actually count the number of seed in an apple. But you can never count the number of apples in one seed. You don't know how many will come back and how many fruits you will harvest because of one seed that you will plant. Amen. Let this drop in your heart. The Bible says you will be enriched in every way. Everybody say in every way. To be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. I believe God wants to make us rich. Not so that we can buy a new car and a new house. That's part of it, but it's ultimately to be generous in every way. That's why let's ask God, Lord, change our hearts. Remove the I, the me, and the mind, the what's-in-it-for-me attitude. Replace it with a generous heart. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 5, another story of the Macedonian churches, you know, it's just so inspiring looking at this particular church. In verse 1, it says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Have you, you know, can you imagine? It doesn't make sense. This formula of severe trial. Yet they have overflowing joy 
plus extreme poverty equals rich generosity. The Macedonian church did not wait for them to be blessed before they can be generous. In their tied-up situation, in their hardest situation, they found joy and gratitude in giving. In fact, the next verse says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, to the point of sacrifice, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Really, when you look at, look at generosity, generosity is a privilege. It's a service to the saints, a service to God, because ultimately we give to the Lord and, and God is glorified. Amen. And they did not do so as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us with God's will. The only way that you can actually be generous is if first you give your life and yourself to God. Then everything else will follow because the Lordship of Christ is right there in your life. Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. There's a couple more verses now we're going to be ending. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. How many of you know that giving is grace? It requires the grace of God for us to be able to give. And if we excel in certain areas in our life, may it be in our, you know, in our work, in the way we manage our home, in the way we treat our wife, or the way we raise up our kids, we need to excel as well in this grace of giving, the Bible says. Because that is the grace that God has given to us. The goal, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. The goal of giving really is just to point to one person and one person alone, and that is God Himself. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Our generosity should point people to God. And so when you give and when you are kind, you ask yourself, does this glorify God or does this glorify me? Ultimately, we give back the glory to Him and we point people to God as well. We use that as an opportunity and we're going to be talking about this next week. You know, what really matters Yes, we can be generous here, but ultimately our motive is not just here on earth, but our goal is really to reach eternity. And I believe eternity is the soundest investment that anyone can actually make because it's a place where no moth can, can actually destroy, no rust can, can destroy, no, no thief can steal. And so we're going to be looking at that next week. My main point is your giving represents your believing. What do you believe in? The Bible says, for where your treasure is, your heart will also be. And I believe that we put our treasure because our heart is there and because we trust in God who ultimately blessed us in the first place. As I end, as I pray, I'd like to just read this final scripture. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Let's bow our heads and pray right now. God, you've demonstrated the greatest example of generosity that even your scripture said that because you love the world, you gave. And love is always the motive of giving. And I thank you, God, that you have done this to us. You did not withhold your only begotten Son. Even the Lord Jesus laid down his life for us. He didn't withhold anything for himself, but he gave his life. He became poor so that we can be rich. He became sin for us so that we can actually have the righteousness of God in him. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you did not and you will not leave us nor forsake us. Really, this act and this attitude of generosity is found in God. So Lord, even right now, we ask that you would change our hearts. Lord, I pray, God, that you would First of all, we repent, Lord God, from our selfishness, from our just me, my, mine attitude, Lord. And we ask, Lord God, that you would change our hearts. And Lord, as we have 
experience your goodness, Lord God. I thank you that out of your goodness and faithfulness, we will overflow as well in rich generosity, Lord God, the people around us. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that you will make us effective witnesses to be salt and light of the world. That ultimately when our generosity is seen by men, our kindness is seen by men, they will be drawn to you because we will direct them, Lord God, straight to you, Father. We thank you for that. As all heads are bowed down and all eyes closed, if you are here this afternoon and maybe you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'd like to give you a chance to do that right now. The starting point of generosity really is experiencing God's generosity. And God was generous in the fact that He gave His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. He paid the price. He lived the life we should have lived and died a death we should have died. Three days later, He rose again from the dead, proving He is the Son of God. And He is offering forgiveness for all of us who would put our faith in Him and who would repent of our sins. And if you are here today, and if you would like to receive the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus, I'd like for you to raise up your hand very quickly so that I can pray for you. Anyone at all? Just lift it up right now. If you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, lift up your hand. Yes, sir. God bless you. Anyone else? Don't be embarrassed. This is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life because this deals with eternity. I see one hand being raised. Another Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. If you raise your hand, can you pray this prayer with me? In fact, I want to invite everyone to pray along. Let's pray out loud. Let's say, Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner needing a Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and forgiving me from all my sins. I confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that He is raised from the dead. Thank you for giving me eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Can we give the Lord praise this afternoon? Thank you for listening to this message. For more messages like these from other Victory Centers, please visit victory.org.ph slash resources slash podcasts.